you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark as we continue in our series here, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 4, I'll be reading starting at verse 26 and going through verse 34. As you're turning there, I want to invite you next Sunday morning, it'll be our last adult Sunday school, and you'll hear part two, uh, or part one, if you weren't able to join us uh, this morning. But Josh Sainer, where's Josh? He's right there, yeah. Uh, Josh is an elder at our North Campus, and uh, you will, uh, if you think church history is boring, you need to show up. Or if you just feel like your spiritual life needs a, needs a jolt, show up. Uh, or if, if I nag you this week and you just want to get me off your back, just show up. Uh, 8.45 here, you'll hear about William Tyndale. Uh, even as I open up and turn to this Bible here, I'm reminded that blood was spilled. People died to get, this, to get a Bible into a language that you and I can understand. And so uh, you'll hear, uh, uh, the, your faith will be encouraged. So I want to encourage you to come next Sunday morning. If you're able to, please stand as I read Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything." This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Join me once again in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, as we come to you now, I pray that you would, you would give us ears to hear, that the, the seed of your word would not fall on hard soil, but that it would land on good soil, that it would spring up and bear pleasing fruit. The truth is, Lord, some of us do have hard hearts here. For some of us, it, perhaps it's been a really, really hard week. Some of us might wonder why we're even here. God, have mercy, I pray, in your kindness, Lord. Even now, begin to, by your spirit, melt the coldness, the apathy, the hardness in our hearts. Make us to have hearts that are soft and sensitive to receive from you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. William Carey is known for being the father of the modern missionary movement. He ministered in India in the late 1700s to the early 1800s, 
laboring to preach Christ to people who really knew nothing about him. That was hard then, as it still is now. William Carey was seven years into his gospel ministry there in India before he saw his first convert to Christ. And he stayed another 40 years. And truthfully, in those 40 years, it wasn't like there were mass conversions either. Uh, Much of what William Carey is known for came after he had died. And his impact was, was understood and felt years, decades after he had already gone on to glory. Sometimes the way the Lord blesses is strange, isn't it? Sometimes gospel ministry can be really, really hard, and there's not much visible fruit, at least from our human perspective. Adoniram Judson, you've probably heard that name too. He served in Burma for the first half of the 19th century. He went almost a decade, 10 years, without seeing anybody convert to Christ, to turn to Christ in saving faith. Ten years. That's a lot of preaching. That's a lot of teaching. That's a lot of counseling. That's a lot of sacrificing with next to no visible results. Yet he too stayed for several decades, faithfully calling people to repent and believe the gospel and to turn to Christ. I had a seminary professor. I remember one day he walked into class He said, I just want to be up front with you all. Years ago when he was in seminary, he said that I I was there because uh, it felt like the Lord had called me to uh, be a pastor of a church in the Midwest, and that church is going to have 1,000 people. And so he was pretty bold in sharing that with his classmates. I'm going to go back to Illinois where he's from, and I'm going to have a church of 1,000 people. Well, the Lord had another vision for him. He graduated from seminary, got married, and then moved to Japan, where he ministered for 20-plus years. And his church there began with 12 people. And 13 years later, it grew from 12 to 9. And it stayed at 9 people for another 7 years. So much for his plan to have a church of 1,000 people in the Midwest. He got 9 in a foreign country. Certainly all these men and innumerable other saints throughout church history have shown themselves to be faithful and faithful servants of Christ, faithful servants of the King and ministering in some very, very hard places where the gospel was difficult, especially where they didn't see amazing results, at least from a human perspective. And it reminds us all, doesn't it, that the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is is different. It operates differently than any other kingdom of this world, and it begs the question, probably several questions for us this morning, how how does the kingdom of God actually work? And perhaps even more specifically, how, how does it actually grow? Because those examples that I mentioned, those are just a couple examples, but that is repeated over and over and over again throughout church history. In fact, that's more of what we hear in the centuries How does the kingdom of God actually grow? Does it even grow in some places where there's some very hard hearts and there's some very hard situations? We work hard, but sometimes we see very little fruit. And yet, somehow, maybe somewhat surprisingly, 
to us, the kingdom of God still grows. Look around. Here we are in our day. The kingdom of God is growing today. The kingdom of God is growing right now in this time and in this place. Now, that is good news. Well, that's good news for everybody. But that's especially good news if you're a parent here and you have young kids and you wonder, you're trying to initiate gospel conversations with them and you're just getting nothing back and they're not asking questions and you wonder, is it even worth it? It's also good news for those of you maybe who have or parents who, who have kids or maybe they're out of the house, but they are, they're not walking with the Lord and it grieves you and you wonder, is, is, you don't really see any spiritual fruit or interest at all in the, for Jesus. It's good news for all of us who oftentimes get easily discouraged when we read the headlines of the day and we wonder, is there a different kingdom that we ought to be more concerned about than our own? Is there a, how do we even think about that? And it's actually, our text here in Mark is actually really good news if, if you're here today and you're not quite sure what you think about Jesus, but you actually want, are here because you want to find out more about how do I live in that kingdom? Well, Mark chapter 4 it's a great encouragement, I think, for all of our souls. If you're not there, I encourage you to turn there. In our text here in Mark 4, Jesus gives us two more parables. And they're specifically about the kingdom of God. Now, here again, Jesus has done preachers like me a favor because he tells us right up front where he's going. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if, or in verse 30, the kingdom of God is like. So this is Jesus saying to all of us, let me tell you a little bit about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about, how, about God's gracious rule and reign here on this earth so that you can understand. Now remember that Jesus often spoke in parables. And he spoke in parables to announce the arrival of God's kingdom and even more specifically to announce the arrival of the king. In other words, it's me. And in these two parables, he's, he's kind of dialing that in even with a little bit more focus. He's telling his disciples something about how the kingdom actually works, how the kingdom actually grows. And for the 10th time here in Mark chapter 4, we read of the exhortation for us to listen, to really hear, to, to understand all that Jesus is saying. Now again, in a parable, Jesus is not playing mind games with his disciples. He's not trying to trick them. Some were able to hear. In fact, if you skip down to verse 33 and 34, we read that he explained everything to them as they were able to hear it. So some were able to hear it, but others were not. And that's the point of the parables. The parables illuminate truth. They reveal truth, but they also conceal it. To those who are open and responsive to the word, they're going to get it. They're going to understand it. They're going to respond to Jesus. They're going to listen to him and respond with faith and repentance and obedience. But to those who refuse to listen, who close their hearts off to the Lord, really to his word, to the truth, they're not going to understand. They're not going to comprehend it all. Brothers and sisters, draw close to Jesus. And you know what happens? You get more of him. But draw back from him. And you know what happens? Your heart becomes hardened, slowly but subtly. It becomes hardened to him and even apathetic to him, and 
some point, you may be incapable of responding at all. The difference is in the listening. So the great news for every one of us here this morning is that the kingdom of God is open to anyone this morning who will really hear Jesus. The kingdom of God is open to anyone this morning who will listen to Jesus and respond to him in faith, in repentance. That's the great news for every heart here today. So we have two parables and two main points about the kingdom of God, particularly how it grows. Here's point number one. The kingdom of God grows secretly, even mysteriously. The kingdom of God grows secretly, even mysteriously. This is verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, this parable is is unique only to Mark. We only find this parable here in his gospel. And when we read that, it's it's a very short story. It doesn't appear that there's anything really noteworthy. It doesn't appear to be anything surprising or shocking about what Jesus says here. A man, a farmer, takes some some seed, he scatters it, and then he goes to bed. And then he gets up the next day, and he scatters more seed. And then he goes to bed. And he does the same thing the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, and you get the idea. He sows, and then he sleeps. He sows, and then he sleeps, he sows, and then he sleeps, he sows, and then he sleeps. Which actually doesn't sound like a bad deal, does it? But it actually gets better. Verse 27, the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we believe here the farmer's just a very normal, ordinary guy. He doesn't have a PhD in agriculture. He, he's not looking at the soil samples here. He, he doesn't take that little seed and put it under a microscope and try to analyze and figure out all the different parts of it. He doesn't sow during the day and stress at night. He's not up late worrying about, how do, I, how do I make a better crop? How do I do this better? What changes need to be made? How do I make sure that there, there's, there's a good harvest here? If we were to ask this farmer, we, we look at his fields and his crops and say, wow, that is great. That is, that, like, what's your secret? Tell us, how do you do that? I mean, he'd look at us and say, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how that happened. But it just did. And Jesus underscores this in in verse 28 when he says the earth produces by itself. And the the, the Greek text there says the seed germinates automateo, automatically. That's the word. It, It happens automatically. So what's the farmer's role? What's this man's role in all of this? That's kind of the obvious question. Again, he's just a very ordinary guy. He sows, and then he sleeps. So his contribution to the growth and success and the flourishment and the expansion of, of his fields is what? He sleeps. He sleeps. Now, some of you are thinking, I mean, I can do that. I mean, if being a Christian means I can sleep a lot, 
then sign me up. Actually, that's, a, that's kind of a spiritual gift, sleeping. Well, it's not exactly. Of course, the farmer works hard to scatter the seed. He waters it. He's paying attention to the weather patterns. He applies fertilizer. And yes, he's pulling weeds. He's aware that some of the seed the birds are going to eat and they're going to take it away. But don't miss the point of this parable. The germinating power to grow is in the seed not the man. Now, that may be surprising, even astonishing, that the farmer, this guy, has actually nothing to do with the actual sprouting and growth of the seed. And I think that's why Mark pays some attention here to this whole idea that he rises and that he sleeps. It's kind of an obscure detail, isn't it? He sleeps, and what happens? The seed grows. Sometimes, clearly, God does his best work while we're sleeping. Sleeping, in fact, is a daily reminder to all of us that God is God and that we're not. When you are tucked in your little wooden bed tonight and you go to sleep, it reminds you that your life does not depend all on you. Because when you are sleeping, God is still ruling and reigning and causing his kingdom to grow. And praise God that God doesn't have office hours. He's always at work causing his kingdom to grow. It's like God is saying to us, be patient, sow the seed, and then go to sleep. Leave the rest up to me. The harvest is sure. I got this. Understand, church, that the power to grow, as we think about the kingdom of God, is in the seed. It's not in the farmer. The growth will come because of the seed, not the man. The man is not in focus here. The seed is. And that's how the kingdom of God works. That's why the kingdom of God is so different than any other kingdom that you've read about or heard about. In the kingdom of God, the word does the work. The Word, the, the seed, the Word of God, the gospel does the work. And God will make sure that that's exactly what happens. The kingdom of God has grown over all these centuries, and the kingdom of God is growing in our midst. Why? Because of the power of the Word of God. God's Word will accomplish God's work in His way. The Word of God contains the very power of God. So sow the seed faithfully and then sleep peacefully. Unleash the word and then watch God do his thing. Watch God work. I think there are all kinds of practical implications for us as Christians and certainly as a church. At the very least, here's what that means. Growth in the kingdom of God, especially in hard places and in Hard hearts is not contingent on us. It's not contingent on our human ability or even our human activity. The kingdom of God will grow because of the power of the seed, the faithful preaching and teaching and counseling and modeling of the Word of God. The growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. Now hear this. The growth and expansion of the kingdom of God is... The sovereign work of God, 
not the result of a lot of our busyness or human actions or ambition. And so let's just make that even a little bit clearer in our context here. The growth, the success, however we might want to define that, of this church, GCF Valley and ministry, gospel ministry here in Spokane Valley, that, that's never going to come about because of some really clever planning by the elders. That's not going to come about because we've got some really creative people here, though we do. That's not going to come about because there's some extremely gifted people here, though there are, grateful for those things. It's certainly not going to come about because we, we all just kind of adopt this, grind it out, we're going to build this church even if it kills us mentality. That will kill us. It really will. What are we doing? We aim to sow faithfully so that we can sleep peacefully, knowing that God's sovereign power will cause the growth. Now, that, that really should strike us as amazing, if we really think about it. Jesus has taken the word of the kingdom, the gospel, and he's given it to us. So we're responsible to, to sow the word. How much more can be sown if here we are, maybe a couple hundred of us, if we each this week took our handfuls of kingdom seed and we began to scatter that? And we start talking to our neighbors and to the, our colleagues at work and to our family members and we, we scatter that seed and then we say, Lord, I'm, I need more seed. I need more kingdom seed. So what do we do? We go back to the Lord. We ask him for more and guess what he does? He's got like large dump trucks full of kingdom seed that never end. And so we ask him for more and he gives us more and what do we do? Well, we continue to scatter the seed and then we sleep. And then we rise again and we scatter some more seed and then we go to bed and then we sleep. We just keep doing that. And guess what happens? Something amazing happens. The seed germinates. Automateo. Automatically. The seed germinates and it germinates without you. It germinates without me. We sow and then we sleep. And God causes the growth. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, Brinkman, that sounds good. That sounds nice. I, I can get behind that. If Again, the more I get to sleep, the better. But what about careful planning? What about structure? What about organization? What about the need for strategic thinking? I've read a lot of books, enough books, on strategic thinking to know that I don't really know what that means. But I will say this. In fact, the timing is right this week. Uh, all the elders of GCF, we're going to have our uh, annual retreat, so I'd encourage you, uh, please pray for us if you haven't already. This is a chance for us as elders to get away for some concentrated time, to think, to pray, to plan, yes, to strategize, to, to organize. Why do we do that? Well, because this work really matters. This is kingdom work. Lives are at stake. And, and we, we feel that weight. There, so there's weightiness to that. So wise planning and good organization is honoring to the Lord, no doubt. And we might come back from this retreat with maybe a plan. Maybe it's a great plan. It's well thought out. We prayed about it. We all like it. We leave Priest Lake just on fire. Every elder is enthusiastic. We just can't wait to get back to our campuses. We're going to put this great plan into place. But if the Lord is not in that, even if it's a really great plan that the elders have thought about and prayed about and we are excited to put it into place, 
If the Lord is not in that and directing that, what's going to happen to that plan? It's going to fail miserably. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now that is true for us as a church. It's also true as we think about our families. Here's the point, church, that I, that I desperately want you to, to get. Everything we want to do for the kingdom of God, everything that we want to do for the kingdom of God that really matters, God has to do that. God promises, in fact, to do that. Can you bring about a clean conscience in somebody else's soul? Can you force someone to repent of their sins and turn to Christ? Can you soften a hard heart? I can't. We can't. And sometimes on those things that really matter, we, we kind of look back and think, I'm not exactly sure how that actually happens. I know that it does because God has is, is promised that He's going to do that. We can't really put a time stamp on that. So it's, it's somewhat mysterious how this all works, but we do know that God will be faithful to His Word as His Word goes out. So what do we do? Well, we keep sowing. We scatter the seed. We do that faithfully. And then we sleep peacefully. And then we wake up and we realize that God did it. That He did it all. There is great power in His Word. There is great power in the seed. Now, just think about that in your own life. Some of you here have been Christians for many, many, many years, praise God, decades. And if, if that is you, then you have heard thousands of sermons over the life uh, as you have been a Christian. Thousands of sermons. How many do you actually remember? Now, that's not a trick question, and please don't answer that out loud. But how many do you actually remember? You probably remember a few, maybe a handful, but it's kind of like you, you don't remember every meal you ever ate. And look at you now, you've all grown physically, and you still continue to grow. But you can't look back and think, well, I remember what I ate 17 years ago on that Friday night. But somehow you, you just grew. It's the same in the kingdom of God. You don't remember every sermon you ever heard. You don't remember every Bible study that you went to. You don't remember every good piece of wisdom that you heard in home groups. Sometimes we don't remember, well, you know how that goes. Hardly ever. It's almost a mystery. It's a secret, yet God grows us. He, he did it. And I can look back in my own life. I've, I've heard thousands of sermons, and I can remember a handful, particular time, particular place where, by God's grace, He really ministered, and so 10 and 20 and even 30 years later, and kind of remember, yeah, that, I remember what the pastor said there. That's by God's grace. But as we look back, it's, we can't really timestamp and date, well, this is when I really grew, this is, all we can do is say, well, God did it. The Word did the work. So, brothers and sisters, there is more power in the Word of God unleashed on a human soul than in all of our gifts and talents and abilities put together. 
So let's continue to sow faithfully. Sow the word with your spouse and with your kids and with your neighbors, yes, and with your colleagues at work. Don't give up this week. Persevere in that. You may not see immediate fruit. In fact, there may, there may not be at least observable fruit for, for years. But that doesn't mean that anything good is not happening. God's kingdom grows secretly, grows mysteriously, at least to us. And you do not know when God will graciously and sovereignly move upon your loved one's heart, a very hard heart perhaps, a, a heart encased in concrete, you do not know when God will come along one day and smash it to the glory of God. Now the disciples hearing this, this business about the kingdom of God growing mysteriously and slowly, I think at this point, or secretly I should say, at this point they're, they're probably a little bit confused. What is this, what is this new teaching, Jesus? This is what God's kingdom looks like. This is your plan. This is how it's going to grow and flourish because they're looking at Jesus wondering how the kingdom of God is going to come in him. Uh, uh, Jesus, you're a teacher, and uh, I just did a head count here. We got 12 guys here, and just so you know, Jesus, in case you didn't know, one of those guys, he's a bad apple. So we're kind of down to 11. We're playing shorthanded here, Uh, and and Jesus, you, you... don't have an army. You, you don't have any political power. As far as we know, you don't have a rich uncle that's going to fund this whole operation. Uh, Jesus, you don't even have a house. You're bunking at Peter's place. And by the way, we haven't heard your really great marketing plan to know how you're going to deal with the opposition because people are getting riled up, Jesus. And the Romans, they actually hate you and the Jew, they don't like you either. And by the way, did, did I hear you right, Jesus, when you said that your plan here you're going to actually die on a cross a couple of years from now, and you're going to absorb the wrath of God, and you're going to call everybody then to repent and believe in you, and, and people then, centuries now, they're going to believe that story? That's your grand plan to grow the kingdom? How does your kingdom even work? And the answer is God. God will see to it. God will cause the growth. So what may be mysterious to us, maybe even a secret, is fully known, fully planned. Everything is ordained at the exact right time by our God. So we sow, we sleep, we rejoice as we see God working. His kingdom grows secretly, even mysteriously. That's the first point. Here's the second point. In case you're wondering, the second point is going to be shorter. Hang in there. Somebody this morning informed me that he was drinking a Red Bull because it had enough caffeine to, so he wouldn't fall asleep during my sermon. You know who you are. I'll pray for you. Second, the kingdom of God starts small and grows very large. It starts small but grows very large, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Mustard seeds are tiny. They're usually about one to two millimeters. They're microscopic. You can barely even see them. 
They were known for being the the smallest seeds in first century Palestine. Now, some critics of Christianity, some opponents of Christianity through the years have said, well, there you go. You can't trust the Bible because we all know now that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the globe, so we'll just throw everything out. The Bible's just so full of inaccuracies and anomalies. No, the context is key here. Jesus is not giving us a a lesson in botany. He's, He's speaking proverbially. So he's using language here that a first century audience would understand. It's it's actually what good teachers do. It's called knowing your audience. Now, we do it all the time. If you lose something, you go home and let's just say it's it's your car keys. That seems to be a regular one. Uh, You lose your car keys and maybe someone in your family really, really want to be of help. And so they say something like, oh, wow, that's too bad. Good luck finding that. That's going to be like you're looking for a needle in a haystack. And, and you're, you know what that means, needle in a haystack. But someone from another culture, someone from another century, they may, they may hear that and they'll say, that, what does that even mean? You're out to lunch. Which, by the way, out to lunch, what does that even mean? Is that a good thing? Because we like to eat lunch. But no, if you're out to lunch, proverbially, that's not a good thing. So from the perspective of a first century audience, they, they absolutely understood here what Jesus was talking about. To them, the mustard seed was the smallest seed in the world. So they got it. His point is that the mustard seed starts very, very tiny. Can't even hardly see it. And yet it grows to be huge, very large. So large, in fact, that the birds can make a nest in its shade. Some of the branches of the mustard seed, can, or the tree then, can, can be six to, to eight feet wide, some even up to ten feet. The kingdom of God will have small beginnings. But God will see to it that it grows into something great. So in the beginning, you, you can barely see it. It's almost imperceptible. But that small seed explodes in growth. And it will then be evident for, for anybody to see. Jesus says that's, that's what the kingdom of God is like. This is how the kingdom of God will grow. It's going to start small, almost imperceptible, but then it's going to grow and it's never going to stop growing. It will grow and grow and continue to grow. Why? Because it's not up to us. Because God will cause the growth. So again, put yourself in that circle of disciples. You're hearing this word for the first time. And if you weren't scratching your head at the first parable, you're definitely scratching your head at this one. You're encouraged by what Jesus is saying, even if you're having a very hard time believing him. I mean, those first disciples gathered around there, they could not have imagined in their wildest dreams how God would build his kingdom through Jesus and these kind of 11 guys here. And that it would... It would last, it would endure, it would survive. And, and in our context, that there literally is, that the gospel has gone to, to every corner of the globe. I mean, they would be astonished at just even one church, our church here, that, that there's a couple hundred people here who actually believe the story of Jesus, that they repented and believe in his life, death, and resurrection from the dead and eternal life, that they would be astonished that there's one church in one section of the globe 20 centuries later that actually believes. That's out of this world. They're asking Jesus, 
How can we believe in this kingdom? And Jesus says what starts small is going to grow very, very large and very, very powerful. And church history shows this to be the case. Despite its small and insignificant beginnings, the kingdom of God has grown and flourished despite persecutions, despite our sins, despite human suffering, despite the work of the devil itself. Still, still growing. It's not going to stop growing. God has a long-established habit of using the small and the weak and seemingly insignificant for his great and eternal purposes. Consider Gideon's tiny army. He had, what, 300 men defeating the mighty army of the Midianites, Judges chapter 7. How about King David? Just a very ordinary small shepherd boy. God raised up, slew the giant Goliath. He became the Israel's greatest king, 1 Samuel 16, 17. How about our Lord himself? When Jesus left this earth, he had about 100 followers. Yet millions upon millions upon millions have, over the centuries, have repented of their sins, have turned to him in faith. They've trusted him for salvation. And Lord willing, there are millions more who will do that. Do you think God's kingdom won't survive and thrive? think the kingdom of God won't endure or last? God's kingdom established with Jesus as king will never be destroyed. He wins in the end. And that's why, brothers and sisters, this is the only kingdom that you want to live in. This is the kind of kingdom where you, you want to give up everything to live faithfully in it. This is the kind of kingdom where when Jesus says, repent, turn from your sins, believe in me, put your faith in me, you say, I, I can do that. I want to do that willingly, sacrificially, with joy. Because this is the only kingdom where you will truly live. All the other kingdoms. You trying to build your own kingdom. There's no life there. There's only one kingdom where you will find life. That's in God's kingdom. With Jesus as king. Apostle Paul, what I, 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 can, I know I have to believe was such an encouraging word to this Small band of believers at this church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, he wrote this. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You think you are small and weak and lowly and insignificant and incapable of producing the kinds of spiritual results and spiritual fruit that really matter? Well, yes, you are. So am I. We are. But what we cannot do, God can. What is absolutely impossible for us, God doesn't even break a sweat. It's actually not hard for God to work in us and through us and for us to accomplish his good purposes for his kingdom. So be encouraged. The kingdom of God might start small, but it grows and grows and grows as we sow and sow and sow and 
sleep peacefully, and God causes the growth, and we all, when we get to heaven, we look back and say, God did it! He did it! So very practically, this is why, if you're a home group leader here, this is why when only three people show up to your home group, you don't pack it in and say, I quit. Small things. This is why perhaps you can still be encouraged when you invite your neighbors over for dessert, everybody in the neighborhood, and you send out invitations and you spend all afternoon making your favorite pound cake. One neighbor shows up and they don't even stay for the pound cake. That's okay. That's kind of how God's kingdom works. Start small, small beginnings. Maybe your best friend that you've been faithfully sowing the seed with for years still appears to have very little interest in Christ, just nothing. Continue to sow the seed. You don't labor in vain. Your work matters to God. He will use those things. Yet those are the sorts of things, brothers and sisters, those small beginnings, we often face those in our lives and oftentimes those very small beginnings lead to some very deep discouragement. And we do wonder, is, any, is anything I'm doing making a difference? I feel like I'm sowing and sowing, but I'm not seeing any real fruit. In my own life, I have found that oftentimes when I get to that point and I ask that question, that's about the time where God is about to do a good work in my heart. Because it actually reveals to me what kingdom I'm actually living for. And what kingdom I'm actually really concerned about. Are your hopes for the growth and expansion of the kingdom of God tied to the midterm elections? Or maybe the economy rebounding? Are you putting your trust in the next Supreme Court ruling? Or is your hope firmly planted in the supreme judge of all the earth who is ruling and reigning according to his good and holy purposes and who now, even as you've been patiently listening to this sermon, he is at work building his kingdom and causing it to grow. Our hope, brothers and sisters, must rest in God, in his kingdom, and in his king. Our hope has to be tied to a better savior, a better kingdom. If not, it's really misplaced hope. And misplaced hope will wreck your soul. It will. So don't be afraid this week to sow faithfully. You know that God's not asking any of us to be the most influential, the smartest, the brightest. Just sow. Sow faithfully. He honors faithfulness. Trust God to bring about the growth. And don't be discouraged at the small beginnings. That's how God works. That's what life is like in his kingdom. What starts out small doesn't remain small because God's work done in God's way with God's power, God will surely bless and he will do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3, he'll do immeasurably more than even what we're praying about. That means that you don't even have to get your prayers right. And God in his grace and kindness knows, he hears, and he's saying, you can rest, so faithfully, sleep peacefully, I got this. So if you hear the word of the kingdom this morning, receive it. Receive it with joy. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has come to give us new life in him. 
So allow his word, that good seed, to land on the good soil of your heart that it might produce pleasing spiritual fruit. That's actually how you sleep well at night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that your word may land on soft and sensitive hearts. Good soil. I pray, O oh God, that we would be those people, your disciples this week, who, who scatter the seed, come back to you, and ask for more. And you give it to us, and we go to bed, and we wake up, and we scatter more seed. And we just keep scattering the seed and trust you for the results. May we have that kind of faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.